0: Hi, I'm Mel. And I'm Sass. And we're going to take you away from the play. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you, Mel? You know, I say we, we say this every time. Same <laughs> old, same old. Although <laughs> something exciting might be happening in my life, but Ooh. we will reveal that maybe next episode. Oh, I like
1: it. You teasing some good news. All we need is good news these days. So. I got
0: the tea. Saps, who did we have this week?
1: We spoke to Michael Lawrence, who is a good friend of mine and is currently the goalie coach for HC Lugano in the Swiss National League. Prior to that, he coached in the OHL, the KHL, and the CHL. He also won the Spangler Cup in 2015 and 2016 with Team Canada as a video coach. You know, last week we spoke to Jen Lacasse, and we know it's a unique position, you know, being a goaltender and her own experience and the way she describes her own style of goaltending is so unique in and of itself. So I think speaking to a guy like Mike was a really nice way to follow up on that conversation. Don't you think, Mel?
0: Absolutely. And I mean, the thing that I took away from this episode is just like this man oozes passion. Like yeah. he's known he's wanted to do this his whole life. He's basically had to like push against solid walls or like chip away at them to get through And I think it's such a beautiful thing when people achieve what they want and you know it resonates with this players because you know you could sense the passion in someone so we hope you guys could sense it through your headphones or speakers however you're listening.
1: Enjoy this episode guys. Welcome to the pod, Mike. So happy to have you on the show with Mel and I. Obviously, you and I have known each other for a couple of years now, so I know a little bit about your experience as a goalie coach. But uh, for our listeners today, we really want to dive into your career uh, and you know the ins and outs of what it's you know what does it entail to be a a goalie coach. So welcome to the show, Mike.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: So, like I said, we want to learn more about your journey through hockey and how you became HC Lugano's goaltending coach. So let's go back to where it all started. A little birdie told me you got your first coaching experience in women's hockey. So tell us more about that.
2: Yeah. So I, I started when I was just after junior, I was about 20, 21. And my uncle pretty much gave me an opportunity to coach a major midget team. And I was fortunate enough because I was still going to school and, you know, I just finished junior and I had, I had aspirations of playing or sorry, of, of coaching. Um, but at the same time, I still wanted to play and I was kind of in a, a bit of a lost place. Um, so we, we, we ended up doing just goalie work that year where I was just working with the goalies with the the boys team, like the men's team. But the following season, Lucho, who's my uncle Lucho, um, he gave me, another call in the summer and said, Hey, would you like to meet my assistant slash goalie coach with the junior capitals, Ottawa women's team and the pianos. So my uncle is Lucho piano. The piano family has a very big background in women's hockey because my cousin, Allison went to Colgate university and she played, you know, four years at Colgate full ride, all that stuff. And had a great uh, great career in women's hockey. So there was a, a very big connection in the Ottawa area to Lucho and, and and the women's game. He gave me the opportunity to to come in and, and to to work with the these young ladies and and kind of see a, a different side of, of the junior age, because the previous year was kind of the same age, 16, 17. And that's kind of you know what the the junior age was as well for the women's side. So, but it, it was great. It was a great experience because it helped me develop so much uh, so quickly because of the demand of why. And what I mean by the demand of why is the information that those young women could take and comprehend at that, at that age and choose to take the information and, and make changes was just incredible. So I think that was my first real introduction into, you know, how mindsets work, work how how mind development really works, and the difference between, you know, mind development between women and, and men, ultimately, especially, you know, during that, you know, such a, you know, an important uh, development state. So for me, it was a great experience and, you know, it was really, of just, I was always amazed and impressed of how much you could, how much you could push, how much you could, they could obtain and take and, and use instantly and just make changes, you know, and, and the other thing was they needed to know why, you know what I mean? And, and, you know, in, in juniors with the men's, it was a little different, you know, so, um, those were those were things and pieces that I that I grabbed. And I think those helped me a lot sooner to work with older players was probably the the experience that I gained from from the women's side.
0: That's interesting. It's it's something I've actually heard Mike just talking to like, you know, I've had I play hockey, I have played hockey my whole life. I've had many coaches and uh, when I was older I asked you know a coach that you know went from men's to women and I was like what's the biggest difference and he was like oh my god the women just like listen and they're like give me information and they ex- right. execute it <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I was like oh very interesting yeah. um I'm curious to know Mike you know you were a player did you have a goalie coach and like did that kind of inspire you to like just innately know that you wanted to be a teacher in that sense? Or was it just, you know, you were a very technical goalie, you liked to know like the minutiae of, of improvement as far as like your technique? What what really kind of inspired you to, to, to know that that was going to be your thing, your passion?
2: Good question. I, I would have to say it was very different. you know, I'm 39, so let's not make me out to be a dinosaur just yet. <laughs> but you know, I was, you know, for when I was fourteen and coming up, and you know, trying to get into junior and 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 finding my way. You know, you, there was really only you could go to like Cojand, which was you know François last camps in the summer. You know, and you'd go to a week or two with with François, and and all right, you know, thanks for that, and that was great, and you, you're kind of on your own, you know, so. There was, there was a little bit of stuff, you know, like I, in, in Toronto, I was playing hockey and you know, we were living in Toronto um, in the, in my junior years to start before I actually, you know, left for a team. So, you know, I worked with goalie coaches like Dave Franco in, in Toronto, who I still have a great relationship with. But it, it there was a handful of people, you know, like it wasn't – it's not like today where there's, there's so much, you know, ex-players doing work and, and all this stuff like that. That didn't exist then. So I think a big part of that was you had to take information that you received in the summer and you kind of had to make it your own in the winter. And when things, you know, were like went kind of off the rocks a little bit, like you really had to take deeper looks into what you were doing. You know, so I think my my I rem- like my dad was filming me a lot and I was watching myself a lot even from practices to to games and you know even that stuff not a lot of people really were doing you know so i think i think that's kind of where it, it all built up a custom to me and and where all that really you know i i developed certain certain eyes and certain you know aspects of of which maybe i was attracted to it but you know, I, I've said this before. You know, you know, speaking to people where I do remember being at the Kojan camps and you know being this five six kid and you know back then Francois was always you know a very big influencer on blocking and, and being in lanes and, and different things like this. You know, and and I'm this little guy and you know f- you know like there were really good goalies on the ice like you know Roberto Luongo was on the ice, uh, Eric Fichaud was on the ice like there's really talented people. And you know, they're all giants, right? And then there's <laughs> this five six kid who's trying to block, you know, and, and not be reactive kind of thing and just beat passes and that's great. But but I was more I was more in awe of, of Francois. I was more in awe of what he was doing and his messages and I could tell the re- like, you know, the relations that that he was forming and creating and, and just who he was as a person, you know, as a teacher, I, I was, I was more in awe of that than than the talent on the ice, to be honest with you. So I, I kind of had a curse. I've said this before, you know, on other stuff, but I think I had a bit of a curse at 14, because I knew what I wanted to do. But unfortunately, back then, you know, there was only like a handful of people who were actually doing it for a living. So I, I, I would pay large sums of money to be able to hear uh, my conversations with uh, Gail McKenzie, who was my guidance teacher back in, in Curtis High School, because she would she would be speaking with this student, we're very close, um, even to this day. And, and she would tell me now, you know, recently in, in years where she says, you know, you'd be talking about wanting to teach and create this school and all these things. And, and she, she's, she's thinking like, there's no map for this. There's no, there's no road for this. No, like either he's completely, either he's completely delusional, which is, which is, (laughs) that's an option right now, or, or he's onto something, you know what I mean? And and she was kind of like, well, who who the hell am I to say that he's not onto something? Right. So Mm -hmm. I, I think it was really different back then where, where now there's, you know, uh, I just had a conversation yesterday with with uh, two students. You know, from from when they were playing, Charles Levine and Josh Rourke. Uh Charles Levine is he's coaching in in, in Rockland, in uh, in the Ottawa Junior League, and you know he's asking those same questions. You know, like about about paths and about you know what what should he be looking to do because now he's he's a goalie coach, right? And and but he's got guidance. He has guidance. You know, as opposed to you know, only, you know, 10, 10, 15 years ago, there wasn't much, you know, so it's, it's, it's different, but you know, whenever those guys reach out, I'm, I'm very, very quick to return those phone calls and to, to have those talks. And, and I don't feel as crazy as Gail did, you know, through those. Talks. <laughs> yeah.
1: You mentioned, you know, just 10, 15 years ago, there weren't that many goalie coaches. Um, so, I mean, what was it like for you to kind of drop everything and pursue this goal of yours? Because I, you know, you and I talked years ago when we first met, um, and you mentioned you you were completing. I think um, you're about to complete your second year of university, and then you just realized this isn't for me. I you wanted to pursue your passion. So, you know, knowing the road ahead would be anything but easy, given that there were not that many job openings available at that time. What was it like for you to just like go through that, make that decision? You know, what were what were the first couple of months like after you decided to, to do this?
2: Oh, man. <clears throat> uh, high anxiety. Um... <laughs> I bet. <laughs> um, well, you know, my so my parents were always like they were always two sides, my 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 father, my dad was always, you know, almost like management. If you were, <laughs> if you're looking at management, you know, my dad was hockey side, you know what I mean? He was hockey ops, let's mm-hmm. say, right? Yeah. And then, and then my poor mother was education and both of them, you know, my, my mother was a principal. My, my dad was a, a French teacher. So here's two, two individuals who are professionals and they're well-educated and they have the you know the obvious kind of backgrounds and you know they've they've got you know on my mother's side of things you know and what she's managing is is my education and again from when i was 14 and i i kind of really knew what i wanted to do and and i had a vision of it and just didn't know how to do it um mm-hmm. there was a lot of anxiety there was a lot of because you, you, there was no road right and and yeah. even into university when I started my school and I did it because I wanted to make, you know, I needed to make money and, and to help pay for school. I was going to to Ottawa at the time. And I think we just reached a point where I kind of saw a bit of a light where, you know, the first year we did it, I, I definitely went into debt. And it was like, geez, what what are you going to do? Like, are you going to keep going or and you know, to my mom's credit, she she said, "No, nope, this is this is your mess, and <laughs> you've you've gotta you've gotta keep doing this because mm-hmm. I, I think I think there could be a bit of a light here." So I plowed through on on pretty much my first year, made the money back, and going into my second year, that was kind of the figure it out stage. Um, mm-hmm. That's where we kind of hit a hit a wall, and I hit a wall because school made money finally. And I realized you can make a living out of this. And that's kind of where, you know, Mike Foligno came calling from, from the Sudbury Wolves and and gave me a a really big opportunity to, to coach in the OHL at, you know, a pretty young age. So I, I think, I think, you know, that's kind of how it all started and happened. But I, I know for a fact that you know, there, there were some pretty tough nights there, you know, and, and you're yeah, doubting yeah. yourself because all your parents want and any parent wants is a clear road. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a backgrounds in which they know and they can vouch for almost. And, you know, you have this kid saying, Mom, I don't want to be a lawyer. You know, this whole lawyer thing is not for me and, and I'm, I'm going to be a goalie coach. You know, like it was a pretty interesting night at the Lawrence household, you know, <laughs> the night when I came out with that, you know, so, but, you know, I was, I, they saw the conviction in my face and they, and they knew that, yeah, you know, that I was lost in it and, and I was passionate about it. And the other thing too, is, you know, I say this to a lot of, you know, students and also just guys that call me up and ask about, you know, teaching and coaching is that I had a really hard time as a high school student because being focused in the moment of, you know, where I was, was, was really difficult knowing, mm-hmm. you know, certain elements of what I wanted to do later on. And when you're at that age, nobody really takes you seriously anyways. And that's, that's a, that's a hard thing for a young kid to to understand and recognize, you know, and then later on in university when you're actually making those moves, yeah, there's, there's elements of being, you know, being anxious, but, you know, you, you, you plow through, you find a way, especially when you have passion about something.
0: Well, I think, you know, your story really resonates with like a lot of other stories we hear of like people who achieve like great things or finally, you know, breakthrough success, whether it be like, I don't know, fame in like a movie or music industry or what be it, you know, it's it always stems from um, a place of passion and sometimes we think people just pop out out of nowhere but when yeah. you listen to their stories like there was so much grind that went into to getting to where they wanted to be and a lot of scary moments you know that anxiety of like what if what's gonna happen um because there's a lot of uncertainty especially at the time you did it like you said there, there was no path you had to go in with your machete and go through the tunnel <laughs> to get to where you needed to be and First off, congratulations. I commend you for it. It takes a lot of bravery. Yeah, there, were,
2: there were tough times. Like I remember, you know, I, I did um, my first, I don't know if you can call it my first coaching job, but my first experience was actually back with the Cumberland grads and Bruce Johnson was there. He was my ex coach when I was playing mm-hmm. and and he just said, hey, why don't you, you know, just kind of spot Pierre Grueh you know, who is the goalie coach and, and mm-hmm. Pierre's the goalie coach with the Ottawa Senators now, you know, and, and so I, I was just kind of spotting Pierre with the grads, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I did that for, I think, two seasons. The second season I had a little more leeway on my own and I was, you know, kind of running drills, but you know, you're, you're 21, you're skating with the guys that you once played with, you know, you're still, yeah. you're so green, man, it's crazy. Right. Yeah, And then, and then finally, I remember there was a change. Bruce Bruce was let go. So everybody was kind of out. And I cold called Al Wagger in Cornwall, who was running the the Colts at the mm-hmm. time. And he gave me the opportunity to come into camp and, and run goalie stuff. And we'll take a look and see how the guys respond to you. So it was just a two-day, almost like a tryout. Right, and you know, I, I did that um, that summer. It was really weird. Uh, Ian McGuinness ended up buying the team, and then Al sold. So then I kind of had to you know prove myself all over again to Ian. And then I had we had this great year with a young kid, Nick Filion, who was only seventeen years old, and ended up getting that year a scholarship to Ohio State. But you know, to to what we were discussing, I'm driving you know, this Jetta, which I really can't afford. Okay. I'm having a hard time keeping up with the payments. True story. Okay. I could tell you more, but we won't even go there. All right. And you know, like there's just, there's just no money really to support this. Right. But you know, I'm driving from Ottawa to, to Cornwall, you know, almost every day, you know, to, to do practice and to do go to games You know, and I think in that season, this is just, I I don't even know how I got through it now thinking about it. Well, I do because my parents were, were, were a tremendous support, but at the same time, I mean, I made, I made $300 that season. Like, think about that now. That's
0: nuts. Right?
2: (laughs) Like, I probably, like, we, we definitely went in debt, like, you know, for sure another five grand, but it was pretty much the money I was making at the school was paying for that experience. Right? That's what I mean. Like sometimes when you have passion, your your brain's not working either. You know what I mean? You're just you're you're doing everything you can because you think this road is going to lead somewhere. But more importantly, you don't really care. You know. And I Mm -hmm. I think that's important too. Is that so? What if it didn't lead anywhere? I I was doing something I love to do. You know. So Mm -hmm. really, like if 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 my If my teaching experience ended at tier two, I I could handle that. You know, like it was something I really loved doing.
0: And you reinvested in yourself in in a sense, right? From the money from the school, you know, maybe the Cornwall thing wasn't going to give you any financial gains, but you reinvested, you know, what money you had into yourself and and gaining that experience and that knowledge. So, Mm -hmm. you know, clearly it was a good call obviously we're just learning, like, even early on, you know, your path wasn't straight. It was very winding. And then you went, like, from the OHL to the KHL to, like, ECHL, little bit of OHL, and, like, now you're finally in, like, the Swiss League. Um, so, like, for me, it seems like a lot of movement, but I'm, I'm not familiar with, like, the traditional path of, of a goalie coach. Could you just tell us a little bit more about what sparked these changes and, you know, what eventually got you to settle in the Swiss League
2: wow that's a good question I've never been asked that I I would say that you know getting the opportunity to go to the OHL you know that first opportunity with Mike in in Sudbury was I always tell people it's a true it was a tremendous opportunity and working with such a professional I learned so much and just as a person but I think when it came to you know the the bounce effect, you know, I, I went to Oshawa because it was my hometown and it was a, you know, a great opportunity to, you know, my first junior game that I ever saw was an Oshawa general game as a kid, you know, mm. so oh, wow. yeah, we had all this success with with Sudbury in my first season. Um, Sebastian Dum basically took the team on his back. And, you know, we had a great bunch of like Nick Foligno, Mark Stahl, Adam McQuaid, you know, like we had – NHLers on that team. And we finished eighth in the season and went all the way to the finals and lost in game six to Plymouth. Um, but Sebastian was great. And, you know, he's a little guy, 5'9, and, you know, he did so much for that city that it was so incredible being, being a part of that. But the next season, you know, there was a lot of hype and I had the opportunity to go back to Oshawa or to go to Oshawa. And for me, that was kind of. You know that was kind of like a, a dream. You know, like being able to to coach that team. So from there, you know, the it's I think it's little things that that factor in. I think, you know, you you learn a lot of it, through your experiences. For me, junior was a a very good experience. It was something I needed to do, mm-hmm. but there's no question that I'm I'm more suited for the pro game and for the detail, the details that are inside of the pro game. And and when I had the opportunity to go to Russia, you know, I, I met uh, Tom Lawson and, and Tom ended up working with me for about two, three months. And, and then he was convinced that he needed to get me on his, on his deal. So before I knew it, you know, I was in the OHL for about four or five years and then I was off to Russia. So, things happen quickly in this business. It's it's how you adapt. And, you know, you, you kind of never know where your next opportunity is.
1: I'm curious to know a little bit more about your transition from the OHL to the KHL. I mean, you just mentioned it yourself. You prefer working at the professional level due to the details. So what are the details? What are some of the differences that you've noticed? And, you know, just like off the top of my head, oftentimes we'll talk about hockey just being different in North America versus Europe, North, South, East, West, whatever, bigger ice, smaller ice. The game obviously changes. So, you know, do those factors also have an effect on the goalies as well? And and did you have to kind of adapt your style of coaching when you when you made the jump?
2: So yes, a hundred percent. But there's there's also other other really big factors in, in that. Mm-hmm. And I think the the biggest one leads back to women's hockey, where a pro's mind is just that much more well developed, and they can they can take the information in in a subjective way, and they can decide whether this works or if it doesn't. Mm-hmm. There needs to be convincing. That's your job. If you know and you really truly believe that it's going to um, truly you know bring good things into their game so you're you're a bit of an architect you're a bit of a lawyer at that at that state Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and and you've got to have both professions and and skills to to bring the information to the players more importantly though they're able to to take the information you know and and in junior if i was to do junior again i think everybody talks about how great they are you know like for me I definitely found success in junior. There's no question, you know, like we, we had NHL goalies, do you know what I mean? We, we had guys who were drafted to the NHL. We, Sebastian, you know, was tremendous in, in playoffs, all those things. There's a lot of successes there, but there's also failures, you know? And if I was to do junior again, I, I have such a clear understanding of what a 16 year old is and at the level of where their life changes so much i'll give an example as a ken appleby i saw ken appleby playing you know in an almost in an empty rink one day and i saw this kid and and i just had this moment where i was like that's the kid we have to draft and Mm -hmm. i kept watching him kept watching him kept watching him i was pretty you know aware of okay did you just fall in love with this kid? Like, and now are you just trying to draft him to be right? Or, or is this kid mm-hmm. really as good as you think, you know? And so we ended up taking him really high second round pick in the OHL draft because we knew Niagara was going to take him Cause we were probably the only two teams that really knew about him. And Kenny went on to great things. He ended up winning a Memorial cup as a starting goalie, you know, in Quebec uh, for the Oshawa generals. You know at that tournament and that's a great end point but nobody really knows the beginning points is yeah. where he comes into the league the game is much quicker and you're teaching him a system and you're teaching them certain sets that you want him to be using and and he's just trying to tread water yeah you know what i mean and he can't handle the why like he they you know there's 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 certain type learners and I think you need to identify what the type learners that you're working with. And I also Mm -hmm. had the opposite at this, you know, he was only a year, a year and a half older, but in junior, that's a year and a half between kids, between, you know, two goalies. That's light years. That's light years. And Mm -hmm. Daniel Altschuler, who was, you know, a Carolina pick, he could handle the information because his, his, his mindset was just well-developed at that point
1: Mm -hmm. where
2: if i was to do it all over again with ken i just would have you know pardon the expression but i say this to you know teachers a lot i would have taught gump you know what i mean like run forest run you know what i mean where yes. it would have been about actions and not so much about why because he he would have he would have been able to take those mechanics and use them and slowly as you know his his development with his mind was was coming more and more and more is that you know we could slowly get through to to the why and and that was a failure on my part because I I didn't understand that then you know mm-hmm. what I mean as a coach. Mm-hmm. and I see that happening quite a bit you know where where goalies you know they're they're whoever's teaching them they're not really understanding that you know the the their learning curves just aren't there yet and it's hilarious because now with Ken Appleby who's you know uh a client of mine still to this day, you know, he's with the New York Islanders in their system. Kenny can't get enough of why, but it's because, you know, he's a man, you know, okay. it, his, his brain is developed. He's, he's ready for that. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's totally different. And when you teach him something, he just does it now. It's incredible. You mm-hmm. know? So, so I think, you know, to answer your question, when, when I went to Russia, that was, uh, a really big relief almost was mm-hmm. that I, I, I really learned from my mistakes and from my success at that level. And when I moved on to, to the KHL, I, I, I started to realize that, you know, that was a big thing, you know, mm-hmm. is that you had to identify, you know, who could handle the whys and going to Russia, working with Tom, that he's the most meticulous, one of the most meticulous coaches I've ever worked with. And, and you, you needed those answers, you know, and you needed to prove it. You need to prove that the, the madness in the direction in which you wanted to, to proceed, um, you know, benefited his game. And, and there, were, there, were, there were, you know, fruits at the end of this road. So that was probably the biggest thing. And, and making those changes with a guy like that were always a lot of fun you know, and, and as far as just the game itself, how things were different in the game itself is that you're on this ocean of ice overseas, you know, it's just an ocean, right. It's not a pond. It's an ocean. Yeah. You know? So, and, and with that mindset, shooters just don't shoot, you know, it's not like the NHL where, you know, everything is a funnel. It's a funnel. You know, when I was in Vegas, I coached in Vegas for, um, a season shortly after, you know, the, the the Russian experience, and it was totally opposite. You know, it was in mm-hmm. the East Coast League. Everybody's funneling pucks to the net. Every Like, you know, your shot totals yeah. are always, you know, 30-plus, closer to 40, I'd say, a night. You know, so it's just such a different game. And then in the KHL, the defensive systems are very strong. You'd, you'd be very surprised, but it's mm. it's it's very strong. They're, they're D systems, and you only see – very, very, like, very, very shot selected opportunities where, where guys are are actually shooting to score. And, and, you know, it's like a soccer game, like, you don't, you know, in soccer, you only see a guy shoot when he's got a really good opportunity. And it's kind of that it's kind of the mind, it's, it's very much the same mindset. So for a for a goalie, you've got to be really, really mentally strong. And you've got to be you know, hopefully you're not one of those guys that, you know, you need to feel 30, 40 pucks to be in a game, you yeah. know, because the game will be over before you know it.
0: That's so interesting. I guess like, you know, you, you kind of opened up a nice transition point for us, you know, we're wondering what your style of coaching is like. And I have a couple questions just based on what you said, because I thought you had a lot of interesting points on you know, with some young players, they, they can't understand the why or they're not interested in it. Um, I was always a player that, like, needed to know why. Like, I was like, if this drill doesn't make sense to me, I don't understand what we're doing. <laughs> um, so do you think, like, when you've entered kind of the, the more professional thing, do you think it's just, like, a, a time of experience that has allowed these people to kind of accept the why and understand the why and, and be willing to work on it? Or is it just purely, like maturity level like and when I say experience I mean like let's say a young guy right they don't understand but they go out on the game and then they make a save they're like oh shit That's right. you know do you think it's like the accumulation of that stuff that makes them appreciate it more in an older age or do you think it's it's just like a natural maturity level of like a man aging
2: <laughs> well so I, I want to be you know I want to be really clear too it's it's not it's not that every kid doesn't want a why, you know, like I've, I've had, I've had kids who are more than, you know, male students who are more than prepared for that. Why? Yeah. Right. It's, it's just, you know, I think my point was more of just, you, you have to know what you're dealing with though, you know, yeah. because not every kid is there, you know, mentally, you know, mm-hmm. and, and not, not every kid has that ability yet. Mm-hmm. So, I think that was more of, you know, the Appleby thing as opposed to, you know, Daniel Altshuler, you know, there meant your your level of of where you are in your development is, you know, it's everyone is different, you know, where again, Daniel wanted, he needed to know why he, he maybe didn't have the same raw ability as Kenny, Mm -hmm. but he needed to know why you know because his game was very very calculated right so i think that was you know again a big a big part of what we were doing was grabbing learners that you know when 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 you're you're processing information as a coach you're able to identify you know how these guys take information and what they do with it. You know, and unfortunately, you know, no one will say this really, but it's, it's a lot of trial and error that goes into that, you know? Yeah. So you, you you really have to see what you have early on and then you've got to tinker with things. And if I were to go back to junior, for some reason, that would be, that would be such a, such great experience that I have because because that would be something I'd be incredibly aware of, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and outlining what exactly, not just what I have as a goalie, but what do I have as a type learner?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like in school, right? I mean, we've, we've learned over the years, you know, people learn differently. And, and, you know, some people want to do things, some people just want to lecture. And, you know, I think, that's a big challenge of teachers and goalie coaches and coaches in general is is learning how to communicate uh, both, you know, verbally to players, but also like with your actions and this types of drills, you might present them and stuff. I want to know, you know, we had Genevieve LaCasse, who's a, you know, on the national team on the women's side. And she's a goalie. And she was telling us a little bit that like, for her, she's like, I'm a different goalie than most goalies. She's like, I do different things than other people. She's like, I like that creativity like for me it's kind of like an art I want to know like how do you how do you adapt like and I guess are you just do you have like an intuition about players do like goalies need to communicate to you that you know they they like things or dislike things or is it like you said just trial and error in the sense like you're just gonna do a sense you know do run one practice a certain way see how they respond whether like with their body language or whatever, and then run a practice a different way. What's your approach to getting to know your goalies?
2: Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a coffee guy. So, you know, <laughs> a lot of my players know that, you know, we have these famous uh, coffee discussions. And and I think a lot of them are not just, you know, about goaltending. They're just, they're just about life. You know what I mean? You need to know who your players are and you need to – they need to understand that you care about, you know, where they're going, what they want and, and how they identify with that. And, and also with, you know, where is this going to become a partnership? How is this going to become a partnership? Mm -hmm. You know, I think those are things where, you know, it doesn't really matter who I work with. It's, those are opening elements for us is those conversations, those discussions, Seen them on the ice, you, you figure it out pretty quick. You know, I've got a certain eye for these things. And I think you see what they, what their, their vision is. You know, I, I definitely agree with, you know, her statement there. It's they're, they're, they are kind of artists, you know what I mean? They, they all have their own little style and little take on, on what makes sense for them. And, and your job is more, especially at the pro level is, is really to, you know, make their strengths their strengths, and make their strengths, their continuous strengths. Mm -hmm. So there's, always, you know, plenty to go back on. And at the same time, pick that one piece where if it's improved, it will become a new foundation in their game. And that always usually takes a bit of convincing. Because it's like anything, you know, I'm just I'm on the artist thing because you brought it up. But, you know, people are always very scary of what they don't know. So mm-hmm. in in that case, you know, facing something that you're not very talented at, you know, it's it's uncomfortable. You know, so breaking through barriers, you you need trust in order to do that.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, and one of our guys here you know, we had Elvis Merzlekins for years here. Um, you know, I, I, when I really, you know, talk about how me and Elvis really started kind of the gel over those years. I mean, I I know for sure he didn't like me for the first three or four months because I was pushing buttons and I was getting him, you know, outside of his comfort zone because we were changing the way he stood. And, it wasn't until later that he really, you know, Elvis has, you know, a different background you know, with his, with his upbringing. You know, he's an Eastern block kid. Um, you know, he, he, grew up without a dad, you know, there's, there's trust things that, you know, were, were later formed from it. And I think once he realized that, no, this guy's, this guy really wants the best things for me is that's kind of where things all of a sudden really started to elevate in the right direction. So, you know, there, there has to be those, those, those trust pieces, because otherwise, you're not going to go anywhere. And this is, this is very, very much a partnership. It doesn't matter if you're working with, you know, a 16 year old female junior goalie, or you're working with Elvis, or you're working with, you know, anything in between. It's, mm-hmm. it's, I believe in you, you believe in me. And, and when you have those that trust and belief that trust me, there, there can only be special things that come from that.
1: Yeah, there, there definitely needs to be a lot of trust between the two of you. And I want to know a little bit more about the actual training and the work that you do with the goalies. Cause obviously I know it's a very technical position, um, but there's a huge mental aspect to it as well. And obviously I think for all athletes, especially like once you reach an elite level of play and any sport and, you know, everyone's physically fit, everyone's, you know, everyone's there, they're ready, but the difference is I think more on the mental side of things. So as a coach, how do you, how do you help your goalies, like improve the mental, the mental aspect of the game?
2: Well, the, the great thing about what we do is that, you know, uh, for example, you know, I've got two, we have two very, very talented goalies here in Nugano and They're, they're both in a state where we could put either one in and, and we have the exact same confident feeling that we're going to win, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, to, to that, it's just managing that is, you have to keep the other guy up when, when he's not in the net. You know, and and when you're working with a guy who's going to play tomorrow, um, his his prep has to be so dialed in that you know he's just in that in that moment, you know, and and where the other guy might be a little down, you mm-hmm. know, you you've got to you've got to create not I don't want to say a distraction, but you you've almost got to create, you know, um, almost like such a dialed tone that what what you guys are focusing on, you know, so for example, tomorrow, tomorrow's a game day, you know, Sandro's not gonna play. Uh tomorrow is everything, it's it's all about what I bring to that practice in, in our morning skate when we do a drill after, you know, and and how those little details are dialed in so that that he is on a peak, even though he's not playing you know, he, he's getting that extra attention and, and, and support so that he's, he's that much more, you know, prepared and preparing for his next opportunity, as opposed to it being a negative, you know, these are little mental pieces, right. You know, where, you know, and, and if you have a guy who, you know, like an Elvis who would, you know, when Elvis was here, he was playing, you know, over you know, 45 plus games a season, just on the, in our champions league side, you know, then he would do, you know, everything else that was involved. So he's probably over playing, you know, 60, 70 games in a season. Mm -hmm. There's, there's games where he shanks, you know, but, but, you know, we've got to vary on on onto the next approach and it's, you know, you believe me, you're, you're never as good as everybody says you are and you're never as bad as everybody says you are. So I think, You kind of have to just live in your in your own bubble and you're staying your own approach you know so it, it it really depends there's so many i get what you're saying but there's just so many uh circumstances and different situations you know to that question where you, know, you get you could have a duo you can have a, a horse i call them horses because they just play a lot you know and you know it's it's you know like again if you have a horse and he's, he's going through a rougher stretch, you, you've got to give him longer rope because you know he is a horse and he's going to bounce back and he's going to find his stride. And, you know, and then where you, you've you got maybe a tandem, you know, it, it's a tighter rope, you know, it's right. a tighter leash, you know, because, and you also have the ability to kind of, if they're going through a tough mental stretch, you can you can bring them back, you know, and, and you can go grab coffee and you can go look at video and you can have d- different discussions you know and and you know that's the other thing too is is in junior you know those were other factors that I now I laugh about them because you know like if you think about you know just you guys are in in Quebec so you know you look at the Q schedule and they play like you know it's just like the OHL they play three three games on a weekend right Mm -hmm. and people are like well like why was little Timmy so bad on Friday you know (laughs) and And then Saturday and Sunday he was lights out in net. Well, yeah. maybe maybe he wrote a bad math test in the afternoon on Friday. Like that's yeah. just being a kid. You know what yeah. I mean? They're not, they're not professionally developed. Professionals they don't shank very many games. You know, mm-hmm. so it, it's it's there's usually something you know inside of the game itself, you know, or a feeling, or you know, there there could be a physical element to them which is not proper you know where you, you'd have to go back and, and say okay you know where are we really physically right now you know are we healthy you know mm-hmm. these, these kind of things right so you know but with with younger guys and and you know where where their minds can go there's so many factors of their lives that are just there's not that stability that a pro has
1: yeah right I want to throw a specific like a specific situation question at you so okay. what only gets pulled from a game. Like it could, it could be his fault or it could, you know, it could just be the, the head coach trying to wake the team up, whatever. I'm guessing that most of the time, if not all the time, the goalie coach isn't on the bench when that happens. You're not making that call, right? So, no. you know, what happens afterwards? You know, what do you communicate to the goalie after something like that happens? Is it, you know, obviously you mentioned it depends on the person. You need to get to know the person you're working with because maybe you know not to talk to him right after the game or whatever, but how does that kind of go down? Because that at the end of the day, it's not his goalie coach's call it's the head coach. And you know, the dynamic is different there.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it is, it's, it's a lot different between the head coach, obviously. And, and, you know, myself, you know, again, when you're a goalie coach, you know, there's, there's a level of authority that you have, you know, or, or so to speak, but, you know, coaches to to players level that's that's a totally different thing um there's a letdown you know I, I think any good player you know feels responsible
0: mm-hmm. you know so
2: you have to read that you know and and, and it really depends you know and it, it depends on the state too you know I've seen guys who you know if, if they had a bad night you, you you've got to be able to gauge you know, where their level is of, you know, if they're steel or if they're fragile, so, so to speak. And sometimes you need a good kick in the ass and sometimes you need, you, need, you know, just, just an ear, you know, and, and I think that's more of my job, you know, it's in, in any situation as a goalie coach, you know, and I, I hear it from the NHL level to our level to the juniors, you know, we're, we're kind of whipping boys up at time for the, for the head coach. But you know saying that is you're, you're also dealing with coaches who have extremely strong, um, I almost want to say silent confidences to them. you know And I think I'm, I fall in that category is that I don't need to be the loudest person going into the room. I don't need to focus all to be on me, but I need to be strong enough so that I can help, you know take things from a certain perspective you know for for whether it's coming from management or the coach or whoever and and not deflect that onto the athlete because you have to be able to protect them in times you know there's there's again there's there's times where you need to be the whip but yeah. there's also time where you need to you really need to take these things on yourself and that's about leadership and how you you present that leadership because in the end you need that leadership to be on the ice yeah. and that if you do that well enough that leadership will translate it will go into your player it will represent the the organization in 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 the best moments and that leadership will be incredibly strong
0: it's like i mean i find this so interesting like i play defense so you know we have a defensive coach but i feel like they're more part of like the main coaching core and where i feel like goalies have this like wingman you know like you're kind of the head coach could be like the bad cop, let's say in the, the situation Safia just mentioned, and you could kind of be the good cop in that sense. But I, you know, I feel like Safia just, I want to answer your question too. Like feedback after you had the terrible game is like so unique to the player. Like for me, I, I could take a little shit. Like I don't mind if you yell at me and stuff. What I didn't like is like, don't point off the obvious, like the obvious, let's say I pinched, they you know they got around me and there was a two-on-one and they'll be like what happened there i go obviously i fucking pinched at the wrong time <laughs> like, i mean that said one coach would be like what happened there you know what happened i made a bad choice
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah this like question so uh can you tell me about that play there it's like you watch the
0: game
2: <laughs> you know, so, right yeah you
0: yeah. have to get a, kind of read on on the player and stuff but um Mike, just to kind of wrap it up, because it sounds like we could talk about this forever, which is so nice. Um, I want to know, you know, what has it been like now, like in the pandemic? I mean, it's a, such a big part of our lives at this point. And I feel like it needs to be addressed. Um, you know, you just said that like earlier on, I think it was maybe before we started recording, I can't remember, but how oh, the schedule was just so crazy at the beginning. Can you just tell us a little bit about like what it's been like with the pandemic and for everyone, if you have like a really positive memory um, since this whole thing started to, you know, bring some light on the situation.
2: Yeah. There's, there's, there's a lot of positive things, you know, because we get to do something we love every day, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we our day to day, lives in that sense. And yes, there's this there's this bubble of, you know, you go in, you 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 skate, you know, and and you do everything with the guys and then you come home and you're kind of in this bubble, right? Where they don't want you going out and all these obvious things for obvious reasons, right? To to keep our our group safe. So there's that. But you know, the the positives, you know, are we're doing something we love. In a way, I can't really say that I think about the virus and COVID and all these things that much, because I really don't. It's mm-hmm. when someone brings it up. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm so busy doing you know what, what we love to do that it's, it's hard to not get lost in it. So we're very fortunate in that sense. When it comes to the season and the way that it's kind of operated and, and gone and shifted and starts and stops, well... The league has done a really good job because it's, you know, it's, it's getting through this 52 game schedule. We're going to finish, you know, where basically they estimated that we would finish. And, you know, it's, it's, it's been a learning curve, you know, and it's been a learning curve for a lot of leagues. Um, They're going to have to make them up. They're going to, you know, like it's, there's all these things. Everybody wants to finish with, you know, their total sum of games. You know, so that it's 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 fair all across the board, but you know, from that, yeah, we're we're learning as we go. I think, I think we all understand it. It's different, but stuff that won't go away are the following: someone is going to win a Swiss a Swiss national championship.
0: Mm-hmm. That
2: group is going to be probably not the most talented group. They're going to be the most resilient group within a group. They're yeah. Going to be guys that just really understand the situation they understand that everyone in that room is going through things and they're able to pick guys up um in those moments and and help them through you know and and there's a there's a lot of stories in that dressing room right now which which elevates us as a group you know and we're a mid-pack team But I I could see, I could see, you know, things happening with just a little luck. You just don't know, you know, and and I think, you know, our team is well aware of it. And there's, there's obviously teams in the league that are very well aware of it as well, is that it's really just going to be the the strongest mental resilient group that comes out of this. That's the group that's going to win. And, and that is on the table for anybody right now. So in a way, yeah, you're learning a lot. You're learning a lot about people. You're learning a lot about yourself, how you handle yourself in these situations and and how you just keep moving forward. And no one is bigger than the group. I think that's that's got to be one of the biggest points. You know, and I think even people going through COVID stuff back home is that, you know, you can't just bounce to the front of the line and get the shot. Yeah, you know, yeah. there's there's a greater good. There's a process, unfortunately, whether you like it or not right? But, you know, no one's bigger than the group. So I think I think all those little pieces are things that, you know, we're learning as people, we're learning as players, we're learning as, as coaches. And, you know, those are things I'm, I'm extremely grateful for.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's just, that's what you, that's the only thing you can do, right? You have to learn from this and take it day by day. It's all cliches, but they're all true. And Mike, like I I could listen to you talk for hours about this stuff. I know Mel can too. We had a lot more questions, but it's been almost an hour at this point. Uh, We just want to thank you so much for, for talking to us. Uh, I know you're a busy guy and you know, if there's anything you want to plug social media, I know you have your pro goaltending uh, program as well. So if you want to plug that, uh, go ahead.
2: Uh, No, I just wanted to to say thanks. And uh, you know, like, again, I, I think everybody's going through through different stuff right now and and you know, it, it's funny because, so I, I just have a little thing here, and I'll be very quick to to finish it, but it no problem. A couple of years ago, podcasts became a big thing, you mm-hmm. know, And mm-hmm. you would be amazed of how much different podcasts just help me through. You know what I mean? Those those days where and I know there's a lot of guys on our team, you know, are, you know, there's guys here all, all on their own kind of thing, right? So when you go home, like, what do you do? Right? So it's, it's funny, like, these podcasts, like, you know, like different things like this, you know, where you're, you're listening, and, and you're occupying your mind, like, these things help so much, you know, so you guys are doing Awesome work, and I just got to say thank you to you guys because because uh, it's been outstanding and keep it up.
0: Oh, thank you, Mike. But I I feel that it's kind of like a form of connection. I remember when I used to like, I don't want to say I was like an OG podcast listener because there was you know someone introduced them to me, and there was definitely like decades that existed before I jumped on board. But I remember I was like, oh, I listened to such a good podcast, and people be like, what the fuck's a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. You're right. Yeah,
2: yeah. My my neighbors downstairs, they're they're like the greatest people. I love them. It's almost like friends. Like they just come upstairs whenever they want, and yeah, and no the doors different. open. But they they're they're Italians, and 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 I was talking about podcasts the other day, and they're just like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> I mean, like, it was like, "I was from Mars or something." I had no idea what I was talking about. Radio?
1: Like, our- you mean radio? <laughs> yeah,
2: they're like radio. Is that what <laughs> is that what you're talking about right now? Is oh, I
1: mean, just.
2: I was just blown away by that. I was like, how are you guys getting through this? You know, like, oh, man.
0: you <laughs> it's, it's too funny. funny. It's connecting people. And, you know, for Safs and I, just doing this is always helpful, too. We get to talk to other people because we're, you know, we haven't seen each other really <laughs> physically <No. laughs> in so long, but at least we all get to hear each other's voice. So, Mikey, thank you so much for um, joining and we wish you all the best. And, you know, we look forward to watching your career develop and hopefully there'll be a lot of other goalie coach that come up from learning from you and they could reference you um i think it, you're forming a really nice path for for younger people that want to get into this
2: thanks ladies thanks for having me on appreciate it
0: To our podcast, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Balado Quebec. Yes, show us some love
1: on Facebook and Instagram at Away From The Play and on Twitter at Mel underscore and underscore SAFs.
0: You can also follow us individually if you'd like um, on Twitter at SAFs underscore on the go and for myself at Mel the Rock. Special thanks to Matsu
1: Brutus for the music and Naimaloof for our logo. Give them a follow on Instagram. We hope
0: to see you next week.